0: chapter 7. Mark is in the New Testament, second book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, his buddy John. While y'all are flipping there, um, let me just remind you what we're talking about, in case you have uh, forgotten in the past 24 hours. Uh, We are talking about sanctification, which is the Bible's way of of talking about how you grow, how you change into becoming more and more like Jesus. And so last night we talked about thirst, talking about how the reason why we're still thirsty is because we grab things, use things that aren't God, that aren't Jesus, and use them to quench our thirst and it's not working, it's making us more thirsty. And so we talked about that the need, what we need to do is to see what he has done and then to take and drink. Okay, well, let's just say you do that. Let's say you start following Jesus. Let's say you are a Christian. I assume that many of you in here are. But let's say you do start to follow Jesus and take and drink. What do you think, uh, this is just a, hypothetical, a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer this. What do you think would be the biggest danger, the biggest threat to following Jesus? I want you to think about that question as we read this passage from Mark chapter 7. What would be the biggest threat to your life once you start following Jesus? Mark chapter 7. I'm going to read the first 23 verses. So buckle in. (laughs) It says this. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus... And they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have been uh, received from me is Corban that is a gift devoted to God then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do so and you do many things like that and again Jesus called the crowd to him and he said listen to me everyone and understand this nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him rather it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean And after he left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples gathered around. Uh, The disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, (laughs) he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And he went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. This is God's word for us tonight. If you would, let's pray together and then we'll take a look at it. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we do need your grace in these next few moments. Uh, As these folks have been uh, in the sun all day, pulling garbage out of the river, I know that they are tired and worn out. And so uh, we we need you to help us focus in these next few moments. Help us um, to be changed and transformed by this word to us tonight. And so would you do that? Would you come now and be our teacher? And we would ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've had a chance to see or to meet my family yet, but uh, the little girl that's running around, she's not here right now. She's left. She's she's probably, hopefully, asleep right now. She's two years old. Her name is Zoe Kate. And um, not this past Easter, but the Easter before that, I think she was six months or so, we had one of the um, nuclear meltdown moments that families sometimes have with small children. We were at, uh, she was wearing this nice little white dress thing that my wife had dressed her up in for Easter, and we're on our way home from church, and we start to, um, you know, smell it. She has uh, dropped the bomb in her diaper, and uh, is just sitting there and waiting for us when we get out of the car and go inside. And so we get home, unbuckle her, take her inside, and, and, um... The people at church had changed her diaper when they were there, but they didn't change her into a diaper that fit her. So she was wearing a small diaper, and so as a result, the um, the number two was not well contained, and it had exploded up her entire backside of her um, back. So as I'm, as (laughs) it, it gets worse, it gets worse. As I take the um, dress off of her, it's now it's now smeared everywhere, it's in her hair, it's on her um, shoulders, it's everywhere. And so we put her, we, I'm like screaming to my wife, get a towel, and, and this whole time Zoe Kate is um, starving, and she's screaming, freaking out because she's so hungry, she wants food, so she's panicking screaming at the top of her lungs covered in her own filth and so we're, 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 I'm calling to get a towel over here we put down a towel you know I'm wiping her off meanwhile my dog is coming into the mix trying to eat it off of her body so the dog the dog's the dog's trying to eat it i'm trying to I'm, she's trying to help she's trying to help but i'm trying to keep away the dog and so i get all the stuff off of Zoe Kate and i put her in a little you know little uh, bucket seat little bumpo chair it's kind of just a little bumpo thing and so now we're, i'm picking up all, all the towel stuff and i realize there's now liquid moving towards me and i look over and she has peed and filled up filled up the entire bucket and it's now spilling out. She's still screaming at the top of her lungs. The dog is still in the mix. Complete chaos. Disgusting, gross, filthy chaos. Now, why do I tell you that story? Which is what you're which is what you're wondering. Here's why. Because that picture I'm going to make an assumption and say that image, gross chaos, is what's going on in every one of your souls. Deep down, you feel that. And you may not feel that all the time, but there may be certain things that you do that kind of bring that feeling up to the surface. Maybe you looked at something on the Internet that you know you weren't supposed to look at, and it made you feel dirty, made you feel gross. Maybe you did something uh, with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you went too far physically, and now it makes you feel gross. Uh, Maybe something happened to you when you were little, and when you think about it now, it makes you feel gross. Whatever it is, every one of us has that feeling deep down where we feel that we just feel gross sometimes. And that's what this story is about that I just read you, this long 23-verse story. Because this story is about, okay, we all have it. We all have that sense of guilt, that sense of shame, that sense of uncleanly dirtiness. And the question is, what do we do about it? How do we get rid of it? And we're going to find out from this story that there's two radically different approaches to try to clean up. Sinclair Ferguson, who is a pastor and and writer, he describes these two approaches this way. One is the outside-in approach, And the other is the inside-out approach. So what I want to do is just look at these one at a time. The outside in and the inside out. Here's the first approach that people take to try to get rid of that inner uncleanliness. It's called the inside-out approach. To understand this, we need to understand what's going on in verses 1 through 5 from the story that we just read. It says that the Pharisees, who were these religious leaders of the day, they were really obsessed with cleaning, with washing. You may have read it, and you know, seen it from the passage. They're, they wash their hands before they eat everything. They they wash their pots, their kettles. They're just obsessed with washing everything. And we find out that the reason why they were obsessed with washing wasn't because they were germaphobes. This had really nothing to do with hygiene. Th- this wasn't about you know, hygienic stuff. This was about religious stuff. Because they believed if you're going to come in front of God's presence, you, you can't come in front, in, in front of a really important person dirty and filthy. So you've got you've to clean up. You've got to scrub up. I mean, the, the way that they thought about coming into God's presence, into going into church was kind of like how a surgeon thinks about going into surgery. You know, you scrub up. You've got to be really sanitized. And if you think about it, some of you may be thinking, this is weird, religious mumbo-jumbo. But it doesn't, it's not that weird if you think about it. If you ever go on a date with someone that you think is important or special, my guess is you probably take a shower least i would hope so you take a shower you brush your teeth you know you've you know you throw thrown in the mouthwash you throw on you know the little banaca spray thing whatever this is this is the idea whenever you come in front of someone's presence who is really important really special you clean up and that was what the pharisees believed they said i know that i'm okay on the inside if I'm clean on the outside, and so I scrub up. And so if you notice, their approach to life is that the problem is out there. I scrub up and I get away from all that gross stuff, and that's how I know that I'm clean. That's how I know that I'm good, that God loves me, that God likes me. So what would a modern-day Pharisee look like? What would a modern-day person look like who is living the outside-in approach to life? He He'd wear a hazmat suit. That's probably true in a metaphorical sense. Because you know, he would be, he would want to be extremely uh, he would want to avoid anything that's filthy, gross. And, and in these people's minds, the filthy gross things are those filthy gross people. I, I avoid those gross people, I clean up my language, I stop doing these bad things, I start doing these good things. I avoid Harry Potter and the Hunger Games and bad movies and all that stuff. But that evoked a reaction I did not anticipate. But you avoid those sorts of things. You avoid the bad things out there, and that's how you know that you're clean, right? It's the outside-in approach. What Jesus is going to show us, this doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And he's going to show us it doesn't work for two reasons. And I just want to walk you through these two reasons one one at a time. The first reason why this outside-in approach to life doesn't work is because it doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't go deep enough. Look at verse 6. It says, He replied, that's Jesus replied to them, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He calls these people hypocrites. Now the word hypocrite is a word for actor. And actors at this time, they didn't dress up in costumes and makeup and then do their performance on stage. They actually wore literal physical masks that they would put on their face. And he's basically saying, "Okay, you're dressing up and pretending to be religious and spiritual and godly. But but it's a sham. You're a phony, you're a fake. You're an actor." This is why, when he quotes that passage from Isaiah, he says, if you look again at verse 6, it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He's saying, okay, you praise God with your mouth, but your heart's not into it. You don't really love Jesus. You don't really love God, even though it looks like it. You're, you're doing all the right things, you're avoiding the bad things, you're doing the good things, but you don't really love, it's not because you love God. I mean, I'm sure this has happened to you, because I know it's happened to me, When I was little, my mother would ask me to clean my room because it was a train wreck, and I didn't want to because I would much rather be playing video games or outside or doing something. And so to make me clean my room, she would up the ante and say, okay, well, if you don't clean your room, I'm going to revoke certain privileges from you. And so I begrudgingly complied, and I cleaned my room. But I'm throwing the toy in the bin. I'm slamming the door. I'm huffing and putting this there, doing this and doing this. I'm just angry the whole time I'm doing it. Now, am I doing what she wanted? Yes. Am I being obedient? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm seeing yeses and nos. Mm-hmm. I'm doing what I was told to do. Yeah. Being force, but not Technically, technically I'm doing what I'm told, I'm obeying, I'm doing the right thing, right? But I'm angry and I hate that I have to do it. This is why the outside-in approach doesn't work. It doesn't change what you love. It doesn't change your heart. You may be doing all the right things, but your heart's not into it. And this is why some of you, or some of the people that you know, may be involved in the party scene doing that sort of life, drinking, crazy, doing whatever, and then kind of get burnt out from it for a while, and then all of a sudden you see them get very religious, very spiritual, and they come into church, and they're really kind of fired up about God, and they're coming to Bible studies and coming to prayer meetings, and then like a couple of months later, they just kind of peace out, and you don't know where they went, and then they just they kind of revert back to that sort of lifestyle. Now, why is that? I thought they were into Jesus. What, what, what happened? This just shows you that, religious activity isn't enough to change someone's heart. All it does is just change their behavior for a while. This is why some of you uh, may be very publicly spiritual, publicly religious, and yet you do things privately that you don't want anybody to ever know about. Things that you do behind closed doors, in secret, that you don't, you don't want anybody to know about. And there's sort of this double life. that It's, it's being obedient, externally, but it's not affecting what you actually love. This is Jesus' point, is that it doesn't go deep enough. And that's the first reason why uh, this outside-in approach doesn't work. It doesn't go deep enough. But the second reason why it doesn't work is it doesn't deal with your inner selfishness. You're still selfish at the end of the day. This is what's going on in verses 9 through 13. Jesus gives this example. He says, okay, think of one of the Ten Commandments. The fifth one is to honor your father and your mother. He says it's in the Bible. This is God's word, right? But then he pulls out this example that they were doing at the day to show that they don't really believe that. In this example of what they were doing, the religious people at the time, they would say, hey, I'm so, I'm so sold out for God. I'm so serious. I'm so on fire that my money I'm going to take and I'm going to dedicate it to God. It's God's now. They would call this Corbin. That was just a word that meant gift. It's a gift to God. It's dedicated to him. And Jesus says, okay, that's great. That's a great thing that you're doing. But what happens when your parents get older and less independent and they actually need your financial help? What do you do? And he says, well, they come to you and say, hey, I, I need your help. And you say, mom, dad, I love you. Thank you for how you've raised me, but I can't help you. Because my money is dedicated to God. Now, doesn't that sound spiritual? Doesn't that sound religious? And Jesus is saying, Look what you're doing. You're disobeying God's law by looking very spiritual, very religious. Oh, I'm so sold out. My money is dedicated to God. I can't help you. And he's saying, You're actually contradicting the Bible. This is his whole, his, his whole point in, uh, uh, what verse is it? Verse 13, he says, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. You do many things like this. Here's what he's saying. You can be very religious, very obedient, and all of it is just a way of actually loving yourself. It has nothing to do with loving God, loving Jesus. I heard this story from several different people friends of mine so i don't know who made it up i didn't make this particular story up this is a made-up story if you will but it goes like this there's this king who owns this kingdom and he's this great wonderful king and one of his servants owns uh and runs a particular farm and one day this servant uh, decides to bring the king a carrot from his farm. He says, you know, this, this king is so great, I just want to honor him, I want to respect him, I just want to show him that I'm for him, that I love him. And so he brings the king a carrot. And the king is so flattered and so honored by this, he says, you know what? I am going to give you a whole extra acre of my kingdom that you can farm, you can, you can grow carrots, you can do whatever you want with. It's yours. And the servant says, you know, thank you. That's gracious of you. Well, there's this other servant who's in the king's courts who overhears this conversation. And he thinks to himself, if that's what you get for just a measly little carrot, what would I get if I brought something in a lot better? So the next day, that servant brings in this like you know huge, muscular stallion, like this war horse, and he brings it to the king and says, King, this is for you. And the king says, well, thank you. And there's kind of this awkward silence where the servant's like, and, (laughs) you know, what's next? And the king doesn't say anything. The king says, very wisely, yesterday the servant gave me the carrot, but you are giving yourself the horse. Here's the point. You can be honoring God with all the right things, all your obedience, all your religious activity, and it have nothing to do with him. And it have everything to do with you. This means that you can love this church, you can love this youth group, you can be involved, you can come every week, you can be on leadership, you can be leading prayer meetings, you can go to conferences, you can be reading your Bible every single morning and journaling afterward, and it have nothing to do with Jesus and have everything to do with you. To say, I, I don't love you, Jesus. I'm just using you for the way that it makes me feel. Because it makes me feel, because it, it enables other people to see me as important or smart or spiritual or mature. And I like those things, and I'm just using you to get that. Now, that's scary, because I'm in full-time professional ministry, and that does, this means that I'm not exempt from this sort of warning. But this is Jesus' whole point, is that you can look incredibly obedient on the outside and your heart have nothing to do with him. This is the outside-in approach, and it doesn't work. But when you get to verse 14, Jesus transitions, and he says, okay, that approach doesn't work, let me tell you what does. And so now, secondly... Let's look at the inside-out approach. If the outside-in doesn't work, Jesus is going to say, okay, the inside-out does. And so here we go. Uh, Jesus says this. Your approach isn't working because you've misdiagnosed the problem. You know, you're, you write a prescription when a doctor diagnoses your, your you know, what's sick about you, and he says you're writing bad prescriptions because you, you've, you've misdiagnosed the problem. The problem is not out there. The problem is actually in here. Look at verse uh, 15 with me. I'll read it. He says this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the problem is not out there in the world. The problem is in your heart. And for the Jewish people, the heart wasn't this you know organ beating in your chest. The heart was the very core of your identity, So let me just bring this home, what he's actually saying here. This is what this means. When you lust, the problem is not the internet. The problem is that you love perverted sexuality. When you get drunk, the problem is not alcohol. The problem is that you just desperately want to escape the world that you're actually living in. You know, when when you get angry and bitter and frustrated... The problem is not your friends or your family. The problem is that you're selfish and you don't want to be inconvenienced by anybody else. I mean, this is, this is Jesus' point. He says, basically, okay, think about it like this. If I, if I took a glass of water and I filled it up to the brim and I set it here on this uh, chair, filled it up to the brim, and all I did was jostle the chair a little bit, of course, the water's going to spill out everywhere, just, just by doing this. And the reason why it spills out, duh, is because it's in the glass. And Jesus says, when, when you get jostled in life, when you get crossed, when you get broken up with, when your parents say something that uh, you didn't want to hear, and the thing that naturally spills out is anger, bitterness, frustration, or depression, despair, the reason why all of that is spilling out is because that's what's in there. Jesus is saying, look, the problem is not out there. It's in here. You are the problem. Matt Howell is the problem. In the 1900s, the London Times, which is a newspaper, uh, put out this uh, editorial thing. and, And they wanted all these different celebrities and scholars to write in an essay answering the question, what is wrong with the world? It's a good question. What's wrong with the world? Different people wrote in provided their essay G.K. Chesterton was um, a Christian thinker, a Christian writer, he was kind of like the Roman Catholic C.S. Lewis, before there was C.S. Lewis and he wrote in this to answer the question, what's wrong with the world? He says this, dear sirs, comma I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton <laughs> brilliant right? I mean, he gets it. He understands this. And this is Jesus' point. He says the problem isn't out there. It's in here. You are the problem. I am the problem. The problem is not Harry Potter. It's not Hunger Games. It's not alcohol. It's not your parents. It's not your friends. It's not your school. It's not your church. It's not your culture. It is you. It's me. I mean, did you did you catch the list that Jesus you know, spills out in verse 21 and 22, he says this, For from within, out of men's hearts come what? Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, <laughs> deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, folly. I mean, good grief. You read that and you're like, I need to go take a nap now. That's insane. That's a lot. But this is his point. Problem's not out there problems in here and so if that is jesus's declaration of the problem what's the solution what's the solution well we're going to talk about a lot more tomorrow night but we get a little hint of it in verse 19 mark writes this little um this little editorial footnote he includes a little footnote and he says in saying this jesus declares all foods clean." Now, that's an enormous statement, if you, if you didn't catch it. Because here's, what's, here's what he's saying. Jesus, Jesus is saying, all of the food laws in the Old Testament, the purity laws, the cleanliness laws, all find their fulfillment in me. And because of that, I can now make unclean things clean. That's his point. I can clean up dirty things. I can make unclean things clean. But you know as well as I do that anytime something has to be cleaned, there's got to be a trading of places. Something clean has to get dirty if it's going to clean something that is dirty. For example, when I was in high school, I don't know if they still have these. I'm sure that they do. But I remember the first time I used the OxyPad uh, wipe things for your face. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a little... uh, pad that's that's white and it's, and it's kind of wet and, and you, you take it out of this thing and you rub it all over your face to, to get off the oil and the grime and it's supposed to you know clean up your face. First time I ever used one of these things, I nearly vomited because you take it out and it's gleaming white from the package and you rub it all over your face like, ooh, this feels kind of good. And then you look at it and it's brown. And then you think... I didn't realize that my face was that disgusting, but apparently it is. But that's the point. Something that's clean has to get dirty if it's gonna clean my dirty face. You know, clean toilet paper has to get soiled if it's gonna clean your body. A napkin has to have, has to get, you know, pizza sauce on it if it's gonna clean up the pizza sauce off your face. Right? This is how cleaning works. And Jesus says, I will make you clean. I can make you clean. But only because I was first made unclean for you. If you have not memorized this verse, you have to. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. It is the key to unlocking the gospel, in my opinion. But here's what it says. It says this. God made him, it's talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what that's saying. It says, Jesus who was clean became unclean so that we who are unclean could become clean. (laughs) Here's what happens. On the cross, Jesus gets wrapped up in our sin, in our filth, in our shame, in our grossness. And in God's sight, he sees Jesus as utterly revolting. Completely disgusting. I mean, Jesus might as well have have been wrapped in vomit and excrement. That disgusting. And Jesus on the cross is therefore bearing the punishment for unclean sin. And in exchange, when we come to him by faith, we get wrapped in clean, white, expensive garments, right? Right? This is the exchange that happens. He becomes dirty. He becomes cast out. He becomes gross. We become righteous. We become beautiful. We become glorious. That's the claim of the gospel. And really, the invitation for you tonight is this, is to come to Jesus messy. The Pharisees had it wrong. We think we've got to come to God cleaned up, devout, perfect. We've got to have our act together. And God says, if that's the way that you're coming to me, I will never make sense to you and you'll never connect with me. I'll end with this. There is a city in Canada where there is a park with a river that runs through it. And every single year, there is mountains of garbage that gets washed up on the shore. And they do every single year, just like what you did today? They send crews in there and they pull all of this algae-covered trash out of this park. Strollers, uh, you know, uh, shopping carts, tires, shoes, Coke cans. I don't know if they found bumpers, but car bumpers. But I'm sure stuff like that is there. Chairs. But what they do with this garbage is they have this mountain of trash, and they say, okay, every single year. Instead of hauling this off to a landfill, we're going to bring in artists and sculpt this stuff into statues. And so all throughout this park, there, there's a big dinosaur, there's a, a, a woman playing with her kid, and there's a, um, a, a little boy on a bicycle, and all of it is made purely from the trash that was taken out of the river right there. Jesus is saying this. He is the great artist who can come into your life and he can take all of the junk from your life your shame your secrets your struggles all the stuff that you don't want anybody to know about he can take it and clean it and sculpt you into something beautiful that is the claim but you have to come to him filthy admitting as radically as, as G.K. Chesterton admitted I am the problem and when you come to him like that, that's when he embraces you, receives you, and sculpts you into something beautiful. And that's your invitation today. Let me pray. Father, we do ask that you would give us the grace and the freedom and the faith to come to you messy. To come to you with our junk, our sin, our shame. Not feeling like we've got to clean up but that we can come to you that raw, that gross, that honest, trusting that you, you are not grossed out by us. You, you're not repelled by that, but you actually embrace us like that. Would you give us the grace to trust you in that? And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.